What's most important is to understand human behavior because although business is about um, profit and loss and product and service and customers and assets and so forth, none of it happens without people. Hi, everybody. I want to welcome you to this new episode of the Positive Enterprise Value Podcast. Do entrepreneur owner-managers fundamentally operate at the level of data and analysis? Or do you think we entrepreneur owner-managers operate at the level of feelings and emotions? That's the question I pose to Lisa Allen, the principal stockholder and chair of the board of directors of the third-generation family business, the Ziegenfelder Company. Ziegenfelder, headquartered in the hills of Wheeling, West Virginia, is one of the leading manufacturers of frozen ice pops, what most of us would think of as popsicle treats, although the actual popsicle company is owned by the giant corporate global company Unilever. What can inspire a more positive emotion than a popsicle treat in the heat of a hot summer day? Hell, if more popsicles were available to more high-performing entrepreneurs, we'd probably save a ton of money on psychotherapy. Who knows? So, do high-performing entrepreneur-owner managers fundamentally operate at the level of data analysis or feelings and emotions? Listen and learn. Others of us EOMs might learn a lot from Lisa's candid talk. So, Lisa, first of all, thank you for agreeing to be on Positive Enterprise Value. This is great. Well, really thank you for asking me. I was I was surprised with your your call and your your request, and absolutely, I'm happy to. Well, I'm so uh, interested uh, in chatting with you about uh, how uh, intentional you've been about this uh, part of your life, and I know that other entrepreneur owner managers will be too. And um, maybe we could just start out by me uh, asking you, so um, you probably see yourself as having different roles in your life. Mm -hmm. Um, Could you say a few nouns about how you would describe what you do today? Sure. Um, a mom, always a mom first. Right. Um, a mima, which is what our kids, our grandkids call me. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> a wife, a daughter, um, a mentor, a leader, a sister, um, an advisor. A confidant, a friend. That's a lot of roles. That's enough. <laughs> a board member. Way too many of those. So if you were to think back, uh, uh, you know, maybe 10 years or 20 years, would you have said that this is kind of what you thought you'd be doing now? Honestly, I don't think I ever thought about it. I just... I remember once um, when um, my daughters and I moved into a new house uh, and we had a puppy and I fenced in the backyard. And I remember the the contractor for the fencing company said to me, this fence will last 20 years. You won't have to replace this for 20 years. And I thought to myself, "I, I can't think out 20 years. That's way too far for me. So good to go. So to think that I thought about this um, 20 years ago, no, I I just never really imagined it. Uh, 20 years ago, well, prior to Ziegenfelder, I never would have seen myself at Ziegenfelder, so I just couldn't imagine that far forward. And so that was about 20 years ago, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, yet, even though you, you just told us that story, yet some number of years ago, mm-hmm. you began to think to yourself, what does um, my next chapter look like? Mm-hmm. Because you've obviously been very intentional about that. Mm-hmm. Can you say more about what your thinking process was? Yes, that I can. So um, I never early in my life saw myself with this company. I just never did. And my intention for joining the company was not, was for some... S- the opportunity to work for, with my father, but I saw it as being very steady. Um, and did you I, see it as temporary at the time? No, no, I don't think I did. I thought it, I, I had done enough consulting work and kind of temporary work 
um, in the consulting business that I just thought it was a good place for me to land. And I really saw myself joining the company to be a bridge um, for the next generation in her family. I thought, oh, I, I, can, I can bridge this gap for everybody so that somebody else might come along. Um, so you could see that that plan <laughs> didn't necessarily come to fruition. Um, but I, I really began thinking about it um, probably six or seven years ago. What do I want the next chapter to be to, in my life to be? Um, as I've said, my father um, passed away at the age of 80, <clears throat> still kind of working. In fact, he was in my office that morning. Um, and I knew that I never wanted to be that way. I wanted to have a, a life beyond, beyond work. I didn't know what our family situation, I mean, I couldn't envision that we'd be, you know, with all the, the family that we have, but family's always been important to me, and I just, I just knew I didn't want to work my whole life. So I began to think about what I wanted my legacy to be at the company. Um, did I want it to be manufacturing plants? Did I want it to be brand? What, what did I want my legacy to be? And I realized that it, the, if I could leave our company with one enduring um, part, piece, whatever, um, it would be to develop strong leaders in our business because leadership is, to me, is the foundation for success in life and any and anything if you can have that self-awareness and help other people with achieve their goals um, then they can solve any problems purchase problems land problems manufacture whatever the problems are so if we could develop strong leaders inside our company then then they could do anything they wanted to do so I really started on a leadership journey at that point that was in early 15. 14 or 15. Was there something that took place in your life around then that would have been a reason? I would, I would have to say yes. Um, <clears throat> we had worked um, with a really wonderful small consulting group called the Mom Complex, which was a, it is an amazing marketing firm that was really just a couple of women who, who went to the larger CPG companies, very um, um, proficient, excellent in their field, um, had worked with large marketing groups, but then created their own smaller group and went to CPG companies and said, you think a pizza box needs to be this size, but it doesn't fit in the freezer like that. might fit on the grocery shelf, but people don't buy because it doesn't fit. And they really brought the whole what moms want, what um, people raising children, or whether it's mom or dad or whoever, um, what CPG companies don't know about their customers, wow. their consumers. Fascinating, and they're incredibly successful. Um, and so we work with them for a while on our products and, and the way to really understand our consumers better. And um, the CEO of that company introduced me to a, a boutique leadership consulting firm um, called Leadstar. And I, I was just enamored with their, con their, the way they chose to approach leadership, which was all about self-awareness and um, helping people develop their, their biggest and best potential. Um, and then leadership just, you know, it just evolves. Um, and so we worked with Leadstar. We brought them in um, to our company for a one-year contract, and they transformed our business. They helped us transform our business, I should say. Um, but that transformation didn't take place in that one year. Right. They kind of turned us upside down on our, our heads a little that year, um, put us in a bit of a tailspin, um, challenged the thinking, and you come out on the other side and realize that's the process. <laughs> um, I think at least I did, we did, and we use, I mean, we, we continued to, um, to use the principles and talk about the principles, and they, they just, they gave us a runway, basically, to realize, gave me a runway, and I, there were people I had to pull along, there's no doubt about it, um, and I realized it became effective when 
we were sitting around a leadership meeting of maybe 15 of us, and somebody very courageously pointed out that seven people had turned over in the last so many months, whether by their choice or our choice, and the rest of the leadership team was pretty nervous. Um, so what I realized started happening is, is we challenged people, the ones that needed to stay and wanted to stay and were willing to grow and develop, um, grew and developed with us. The rest of them, they kind of, you know, they kind of find themselves in another, another home. They self-selected. Absolutely self-selected. Well, some of them self-selected. Yeah. Some of them we selected. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, did that give you input to seeing more of a destination for yourself in terms uh, of time? Um, yes. Yes. So I said, uh, I, my, my vision was, uh, you know, 18 months to two years. And why did that suddenly become so clear to you? Um, because I felt it was, to me, it was an opportunity to challenge the others in our company. Wow, if that's what your plan is, i got to ramp up. Ah. I have to t make more decisions. I have to step out a little bit more. I have to be a little bit different. I have to challenge my own thinking. Um, I have to grow my team. I have to figure out how I'm going to create my own succession plan and so we create so I felt that in in my role as the CEO and chairman of the board everything change would have to roll from me it couldn't roll up to me so I had to reinvent myself so that they would reinvent themselves and it would be safe to do that I guess um, I've always said I wish I was as smart when I started as I look back on it and see, oh, hey, that worked. <laughs> um, it, I, I just knew that um, the potential was there, but unless you get out of the way, people don't always challenge their own potential. So you, so you deliberately created space. Mm -hmm. and, did, uh, you, and you have had some people who undoubtedly have grown into that space. Mm -hmm. And did you have some from there who also struggled with that? completely struggled um, um, yes but I don't believe they would have they would have recognized their struggle unless we got out of their way right so sometimes when you when you pull back a little and the the safety net isn't there when somebody just simply asks a question is how, how would you how do you think I should do this and if you answer that question then they're not thinking right they're not problem-solving they're not um, being selective in their decision process and, and 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 failing they're not failing to realize what the next step really needs to be and failing is a strong word I don't I don't mean failure because we never let anybody completely fail but if you don't recognize what you're not doing then you can't move forward with the next step um, and so we always created that safety net we'd answer questions and so we recognize that you got to get out of the way and when you do then you really Kind of pull the curtain back and see who has the capability and who doesn't. And then when you try to surround them and help them, they either accept the help or they're challenged by the help, and then that's when they end up self-selecting. Yeah, because people can only change themselves, right? Exactly. You can't change them. Mm -hmm. So somehow they have to, maybe with your help, maybe you're Socratically asking them questions that allow them to have some aha moments about themselves. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, they, they decide, yes, I want to make this change. It's scary. Mm -hmm. I might not fail, but I might not succeed as quickly as I want, right? Exactly. So did you find that you had to allocate more of your uh, resources and your energy towards recruitment? Yes. So what we ended up doing was we, um, we hired a, a recruiting consultant who did a lot of the legwork for us. Um, but in that process, I also realized that um, by doing that, by relying on somebody to the outside, that didn't make anybody internally accountable. So eventually we hired a talent acquisition manager who uh, worked together with this consultant and we, actually the consultant helped us find this person. Um, but, it, but we slowly moved that process in-house versus um, on the outside and we have found right wrong or indifferent we have found that um, integrating into our culture 
is very difficult. From the outside, it looks great. They have fun. It's a great product. Um, everybody's people-oriented. But it's a lot of hard work inside our company. We run very lean operation, as you saw. Um, we don't have a... Um, um, we don't have a lot of bench strength necessarily, and we actually we don't have a large bench, so right. everybody does a little bit of everything, and that's that's challenging, especially in a twenty-four seven operation because it never stops. So one of the things that I'm imagining is just knowing how strong the culture is of the company and that you've created. Um, I'm imagining that there's some tension sometimes between wanting to grow our own, our homegrown talent versus knowing when it's the right time to reach outside to find some new energy, mm -hmm. maybe from someone who's already done this before in a different situation. How do you think about that? So I wish these other two seats were filled because this is a, this has always been a struggle for us. Yes. Um, and interestingly, I'm the one who always wants to bring somebody in from the outside. I always, I often feel that um, homegrown, you can get into problems with always being homegrown because you don't have all those outside resources, the expertise in learning, we're training ourselves, so it's, it, it can be incestuous almost from a thought perspective, a, a um, innovation and growth perspective because you, it, you don't know what you don't know. I've always compared it to if you, always eat vanilla ice cream and you say that's your favorite ice cream but you walk into Baskin Robbins and if you're not willing to try anything else then that's that's not a good thing to me uh, because change and growth and innovation are are key to success um, and so in the last couple years I've really had to back off and allow our team which was always my initial goal let them make the decisions not me I've had to back off and say, okay, if you think you can grow this person, then that's the right thing to do. We've brought people into our company who have been wonderful, but they haven't been able to just adapt to the, the, the level, not just the level, but the quantity, the scope of the work, because everybody does a little bit of everything. Yeah, I, I, I don't know your organization well enough to say this about your firm but I have seen many other firms where people have grown up in the organization and have done a great job in a specific task or role, and uh, the environment around them changes. Maybe the industry changes, the field changes, and the business changes. Mm -hmm. And it might grow, it might very much prosper, and sometimes the role needs to change too, but the person is not as able to change or maybe doesn't want to change mm -hmm. and my view of that has always been that there's no blame there that that's that person has done what we've asked them to do we've changed the role mm -hmm. and so what we really need to do is go and supplement that position because we owe it to the business to do that uh, and yet that's a um, for many entrepreneur owner managers it's almost a point of pride for them to say I grew all this talent inside mm -hmm. yet I have just had a conversation with an owner-manager this past weekend where I said to him, I don't think you have any idea of how good your life could become if you had a strategic chief financial officer mm -hmm. who you weren't on Sunday afternoon calling her and saying, this is the things I want you to think about, but she was calling you on Sunday exactly. afternoon and saying, let me tell you about the things I'm thinking about doing this week. Mm -hmm. Right? So it's, it's very tough. Well, and, and interestingly, I'm, I think we need some of those folks from the outside. I, w that's important to challenge who we are because, as, as we say all the time, how do we know that we're doing it the best way or the right way or the only way? Um, so one of the things that I started talking about, and we do this with a lot of our leaders, is, is I really, I often, or I was when I was there, I would often correct the comment, um, the, um, you know, moving up the ladder. And for me, it's not a ladder that's defined success. It's more of a lattice 
kind of a thing where you work in different roles and you do different things inside the company or you go to, you know, our finance team goes on a customer call or I figure out how to run a machine or whatever so that you really learn the totality of the business. Um, and more important than the, the tasks of the business, you, you learn the different behaviors that are needed for each of the roles because we all behave differently and we all um, um, respond differently to different people. And if I'm always on the finance side and all I work is, with is the finance people, then I don't understand the needs of my customers because they're the internal customers. And so we do a lot of lattice kind of growth so that they learn more about who we are internally. And since I left, when I retired in, in the end of 99, you know, we ran right into COVID. 2019, right? Two, what did I say, 99? Yeah. That's when I started. Just 2000, yeah, thank yeah. you. I appreciate that correction. 2019. Um, we ran right into COVID. And so we had, we had a lot of um, travel planned for our, our team to go to conventions and to conferences and to meet with different groups and do different things. And so that, that held us back just a little. And I'm, I know they have all that in the plans in the future. So to continue to grow those who are homegrown. So um, five years ago, when you had a bit of a course change mm -hmm. and started thinking more about this and thinking about sort of the internal work you were doing, do you think that others perceived a change in your behavior? Do you think that maybe did you, did you become more tricky for them to work with? No, I don't know. And I didn't share it with everybody. I shared it with just a handful of, of people. Um, and we started, we started to grow our team a little bit more by then. And when I stopped being so involved, it, it, um, there, there was some concern. You know, Lisa, we haven't seen you for a long time. Lisa, yeah, you're not sure. involved in this. Sure. And I'm like, there's, there's great people that you can ask questions of or get advice from. If you need me, call me. You know where my office is. Um, and I did start to back away a little. Um, and there was a lot of... Honestly, there was a lot. I'm very outgoing. I'm very personable. I, I knew. I know. I knew everybody's name and their family. I knew everything about them because that's how I build relationships. Um, and some of our leaders have different personalities than that. That's just the way it is. That doesn't make it right or wrong. And so then, when I spoke clearly about my point of retirement, it scared a lot of people. The company's going to change. It won't be the same, you know, with, without you. And I, that was way too much pressure for me. Um, but I said, just give it a shot. Just give it a try. Go, so if you don't have, feel like you have a good relationship with him or her, get started. Now's your chance. <laughs> Let me know how it goes. <laughs> and, and I think people started communicating a little bit more intentionally with each other. Don't be afraid. You know, just because somebody has a title doesn't mean that they're, they're probably more afraid of you than you are of them. It's like a dog, so go pet the dog. <laughs> and, and people started working on relationships a little bit more. We have um, a one company, we call it a one company meeting once a week. And there's probably, I don't know, 30 people on the call. And it was a great opportunity for people just to, they talk about each other, they give compliments, they say what's going on. Um, and people love being on that call and having something mm -hmm. to say. So they then the next step is to take that information and go tell somebody you're proud of them. Go ask another question about what they said because it, 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 it's just relationship building and helps us grow as a company. And so that whole tribe concept uh, really is probably uh, maybe four, I don't know, four years old, let's say, four or five years old. But that whole tribe concept um, was all about language. Right. You use the term tribe and people begin to think about it and feel that way. Right. If you talk about employees, that's exactly what they are. The words you we use matter. If you talk about family, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So how do you think this interview is going so far? Actually, I was tickled that Lisa was so generous to record this podcast interview with me because she really is an exemplar of a business owner and leader who very intentionally purposefully moved into the next chapter of her life. You can hear her say that in effect, she inspired a management transition at the company she owned by deliberately pulling herself from the day-to-day -day management of it. 
it took incredible courage for her to move into the unknown. And that really sparked my curiosity about it. I don't have that much experience with entrepreneur owner managers who move themselves forward into the next chapter very intentionally in that way. Many of us, probably myself included, have patterns of ignoring what's coming at us and maintain a pattern of avoidance or ambivalence, maybe even staying in our roles a little bit too long. If we don't keep it simple, sometimes we generate a drama about it. I've written about that in other blog posts like this one. So in these liminal moments in our lives, there can be terrific periods of creativities. In Lisa's case, you hear her say that she believes she took up a lot of space in the room and so removed herself from it in order to let herself or maybe even force themselves around her to grow, whether families or leaders in her organization. Let's finish the interview. So um, when you now think about the changes that you've made, uh, it occurs to me that, you know, in our lives, we don't get that many times to push the reset button, do we? I mean, maybe, I don't know, you graduate from high school or you get married or you get unmarried or you take a new job or you move. And in your case, you very deliberately made this change. Do you feel like you had like a fresh start? No. Just a continuation, okay. really. I mean, yeah. I didn't, it, it wasn't a close this door and open that door. I okay. used to say that all I want to do is sneak out the back door and nobody even notice that I'm gone. And so that was always my goal, was to um, step away. And I feel very blessed to be in a position where I can do that. A lot of people, you know, you work until Friday at 5 o'clock and then you're retired, you know, the, the, the life completely changes, and I feel very blessed um, that I, I, I'm able to, um, I was able to transition. Evolve. E- yes. Evolve and transition, because I, I, in the last quarter of 2019, I went into the office far less. I just started backing away, started backing away. Um, Kevin and Barry started leading the meetings that I used to lead probably a year in advance and I just pulled back so that I could observe are my are some of the decisions that we made the right decisions you never learn anything when you're talking you only learn when you sit back and you pay attention you listen so I once I humbled myself enough to realize that my voice didn't matter it, it enabled me to look around and watch how other people were growing and then to support that growth. And I now mentor probably five people inside our company. I do it on Zoom, or we go out to lunch, or we go for a walk or something. And I when never you say go to the mentor, office. is that is that like an official relationship? Do they feel like mentees? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Um, and we have specific things that we talk about, and um, I listen, and they talk, and I ask questions, and they talk, and... Um, I can see, you know, it's it's a slow process, but I can really see growth in some oh, individuals. Yeah. Right. And the growth that I see mostly is when I say, I'm so proud of you, and you did such a great job with that. You can, I see their physical presence shift. Yes. And they'll take more risks and take more risks and take more risks and grow and develop. And um so I can see that the, the seeds planted over all these years are really coming to fruition with the team that we have. It's different, but it's not different bad. I don't see anything that's different bad. They course correct themselves. Um, they have a confidence and the self-awareness to make good decisions. And I think one of the main, that was, that's really one of the main reasons why I chose to intentionally leave the business and retire. Um, was because um, I wanted I wanted to give people space to grow, and I just think that sometimes when you when you stay there and you're you're I'm not really here, don't pay attention to me. Pretend like I'm not in I'm not in the room. You're always in the room. Right. So so agree. Yeah, yeah. you have to leave. Yeah. So we can have a longer talk about that uh but so uh you and barry and kevin have worked closely together for 10 plus years mm-hmm. the three of you mm-hmm. and you're married to barry mm-hmm. and so the three of you were really a triumvirate mm-hmm. and yet you know axiomatically most people listening to this would say yeah but 
everyone knows organizations work best when there's really role clarity. Mm-hmm. How did the three of you working together as a triumvirate, did you achieve role clarity? And if so, how did you do that? That's a great question. Um, and I've never thought about that, but we absolutely did. We all have our strengths. And we, um, we admire each other. I really feel like we have admiration for each other for those strengths. And we don't try to cross those lines. Um, M- meaning you don't try to emulate I don't, someone else's. Exactly. I don't, I don't think that I'm any better yeah. than Kevin at the things that Kevin's so great at. Or I can do the things that Barry can do that, because he's so great. Um, we, it, it's clarity. It's not staying in our box at all because we challenge each other all the time. But it's clarity about where the strengths are. Barry, you can do this, so can you, do you think you can handle this project? Or he's very comfortable at telling us that we're wrong. Um, which gives me strength to tell somebody else that I think that they might be wrong. Um, it's just, it, I've never experienced anything like it before in my, in my entire life with siblings or kids or any, or friends or other business colleagues. So much fun. It's, it's hugely fun. Yeah. Because we laugh and we giggle and we, and I think the foundation of all of that is complete trust. Capital T, for sure. Complete trust. And if that trust didn't exist, then we're try- always trying to cover for ourselves or each other. or um, So it, it, it began with trust. And actually, that's another important piece of why we are the company that we are. Um, I've always felt that that's the, ap- that's the keystone of any relationship. So I remember years ago, um, and I, I, I would love to meet Patrick Lancioni because I think he's just fascinating. But I took the book, um, Five Dysfunctions of a Team, and we shared it with, we gave it to everybody inside the company, and I would lead no more than five or six um, small group discussions about the book. And I always said, you have to read this book, but all I wanted them to read was the first couple of chapters. And then the conversation took off, and we built trust by having not conversations about the book, conversations about ourselves and I felt it was important that I lead those um, because it built the bridge Um, and so trust has always been a keystone of our company because of because of that so when I asked you to just give a couple of words to describe what you do today the I think the first word out of your mouth was mother Mm -hmm. and there were some others that had to do with family in addition Mm -hmm. to the business do you think there's an unavoidable uh, choice or trade-off to be made between being a successful professional and a great parent? No. There's no trade-off. Because I don't feel there's any trade-off. I feel like um, one makes me better at the other. And you can, they're interchangeable. Um, I feel like I was a better, I, I feel like I became a better leader because I love being a mother. And I use, uh, once again, language is important, words matter. I use words of emotion, and that's who I am, but I use words of emotion. I use the senses in my language at home. And I thought, I wonder, I wonder, I need to do that with this one conversation. And you see the impact in that conversation. Right. And then you do it again, and you do it again. And I realize there's no difference. In the w- when you create the difference in the way you talk, you have to pay attention to your audience. And if you don't ever have to pay attention to your audience, and you can just say, I love what I do. I love the way you did that. I see how important it is to you. We're human. That's meaningful to everybody, not just your family. Love and then it. your family grows, yeah. <laughs> actually. Yeah, in a way. Mm-hmm. I hope you're taking notes because this sounds like a great book. Oh my gosh. I, so the, the principal at Lead Start, one of the first things she yeah. said to me was, Lisa, you need to write a book. Yeah, I'm yeah. Like, I can't write a book. Yeah, you can. Well, maybe you can help me, Pete. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Okay, glad. So, um, so here you are. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking that this chapter is kind of a bit of a progression so you may have started out on it sort of for being courage with a lot of courage but um hoping that it was going to work beginning to feel sure it was going to work now you're very confident it's working Mm -hmm. um are there some things now that you're going to add to your life 
outside of the business that you've been waiting to do? Um, I don't think I waited to do anything. I Tell don't me think about I, that. I don't think I held back on anything. I'm from an early age, or from you? an early well, not an early age, probably. I, yeah, I'd have to say from an early age. So I, I learned a couple of early lessons. When I was in college, I took a um, uh, some class I can't even remember, but we all got on a bus and we went rappelling. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was in southeastern Ohio, and I was scared to death. And I chose this was maybe my freshman or sophomore year. I was so scared to rappel that I chose not to. And I got back on the bus and everybody was having a great time talking about their experiences and I missed it. So I remember saying to myself, any opportunity, I'm going to take it. I'm, I'm going to take the risk. And so I think, I feel like that gave me the willingness to take risk, whether it's parasailing or hang gliding or skiing from the top of, you know, above the tree line kind of thing. When I'm scared to death, I, I take that risk. And if I can take those risks, I can take other risks. So what I realize in business, the risks that I need to take, um, for me, the, it's not a risk to ask everybody their opinion. So it's very important to me, I recognize that I'm a ready, fire, aim person. And so that's dangerous at times. So I surround myself with people who have strengths that are different than mine, like this team or our, our executive team or our overall leadership team. And I solicit their their collaborative thinking and then collectively we make a decision I probably made very few unilateral decisions on my own in, in my 20 years at the company um, because that's that just didn't feel healthy to me and I don't think it taught good lessons either did Kevin join you right away after you joined the company I forget no no um, so the long term and I shared with you I know the long term or the, the history, Yes. Kevin's grandmother was my father's secretary for yes. a long time. But Kevin and I never knew each other. Um, so Ke- I started in, 99, in 1999, and I think Kevin started like in 2002 or 2003. But the way I reached out to Kevin was I, I called him and I, I said, Kevin, my name is Lisa. It was Lisa Railing at the time. Um, does my name sound familiar to you? And he said, no, no, it doesn't. I said, good, then let's talk. Uh. <laughs> so he and I didn't know each other at all. Um, so the reason I'm asking you that is because what you've just described in your decision-making process is someone who, uh, these are my words, not yours, so correct me, mm-hmm. but someone who appreciates the value of, in effect, a decision-making partner. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just wondering how it was different before you added Kevin to become a decision-making partner for you. Um, I was, I think I was um, unsure of myself, and I really believe that when you have that lack of self-confidence, you f- feel bulletproof, or you think you, you need to appear bulletproof. So I made a lot of decisions on my own. Not great decisions. Um, so... Or I relied on others that I didn't necessarily trust their decisions. Um, and I really, I, Kevin was, I mean, we, I interviewed hard with him, but I, it, a lot of it was just the blending of the two of us because we're so opposite. Um, I learned to trust him. So he started in 2002. My father was still around then. Um, and he, he probably helped me with one of the key decisions in my life. And from that point forward, um, yeah, I mean, it was I, I, I trust him with my life. Um, and that decision point was after my father passed away and I had an opportunity to purchase all of my father's shares of stock, not knowing how in the world I was going to do that, Kevin said to me, just do it and we'll figure it out. And so I trusted him with that and, and you know, we're our, we're, where we are today. That's great. It is. It, yeah. So, yeah. I think you need to trust. <laughs> so many people listening to this podcast, Lisa, are um, successful, high-performing owner-managers. And as they're listening to you and me chat, they may be thinking to themselves, wow, this woman has been has done everything successfully in her life. 
and now she's the chair of the board of this very successful business. But I wonder, are there one or two things that you think of that maybe weren't as successful that were really great learning moments for you that you'd be willing to share? Just one or two. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I just wondered if there was a few, you know, either failures or not successes that you think of that led to strengths. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I've shared with you before that all of the um, challenging years that we had from 17, 18, 19, and 20 with COVID, um, huge learning experiences. But in 2018, when we had um, an issue with the FDA um, coming into our plant, when I, I... it's like, do you remember where you were when Elvis died? I know exactly where I was when I got that phone call. I was sitting on an airplane. Kevin called me, and he said, um, someone from the FDA just walked into our plant in Denver. And I, I could see everything flash before my eyes because I knew that we had issues. I, I knew in my mind and in my heart that we're going we're gonna to have to do some pretty heavy lifting right now. And the, the lesson I learned from that was to follow my gut and follow my heart um, and challenge the things that I know that need challenged. Um, so I learned that then, and I learned that, I don't know, 10 years before that. It's a continuous learning process. I learned that 10 years before that when I um, made a decision with one of our customers to invest when I knew it was a bad investment. Um, which unfortunately it proved correct. It was a bad investment. Um, I learned that. Um, I learned that in in the hiring process, people we allowed to come into our company that were not good people, um, didn't have the skill set. But I, 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 it's just a gut thing. I, I think the biggest lesson is really to listen to your head and your heart and really follow and your gut and follow what feels right or doesn't feel right for me. Um, there's <laughs> there's so many lessons. I can just think of so many um, people-related. So, so, so let me ask you more specifically. So mm-hmm. like if you were giving advice to a uh, smart, um, ambitious, recent college student who wants to be an entrepreneur, what would you say to her? Um, I would say to her, um, I, I would first figure out if she, un- so um, what's most important is to understand human behavior because although business is about um, profit and loss and product and service and customers and assets and so forth, none of it happens without people. Um, So first understand um, your own self-awareness, what your strengths are, what your limitations are, be proud of both because they're real, um, and find the right people to surround yourself with, and then learn to trust. And trust is not something that says, uh, boom, it's there. It comes over time and it takes, it's a lot of risk, and it's a lot of waiting. But once you build a strong team that you can trust around you, uh, then I, I truly believe anything's possible. I used to think, um, I remember, I remember um, thinking of myself as the Wizard of Oz, but not the wizard, the right. man behind the curtain. Right. And if anybody ever pulled that curtain back, oh my gosh, I'd be done, just absolutely done, because they'd figure out it's just me. And then I heard about the imposter syndrome. So I've thought this for probably my whole life. And then when I figured out that it's not just me, that's how everybody feels. Right. Then it just kind of levels the playing field <laughs> and makes us all just human. Right. So let's hold hands and let's figure this out together yeah. and walk the path together. It's great. So if we went to sleep tonight and woke up tomorrow and magically it was April 23rd, 2031 what would you be working on (laughs) jeez Pete Um, 
I don't know. Uh, what would I be working on 10 years from now, um, minus a few months? Um, probably the exact same things I'm doing now, hopefully. Yeah. Um, helping others grow, working with the people that I love, um, where whoever that is, family or otherwise, working um, in my garden, uh, reading, growing, developing. Um, I don't. I don't have. I don't have. I've never had that singular goal in front of me that I want to travel the world. I, if there's a singular goal, it's just to touch lives. It's just to impact people's lives in a in a positive way, or for some point in their future to remember an interaction with me that led them to another point. I, I love the fact that you, not quite knowing what you're going to actually be doing, is filling you with energy mm-hmm. as opposed to trepidation. Awesome. Uh, no, no, no trepidation. Right. No trepidation. Just how can I impact people's lives? So, um, again, a lot of people listening are people who think to themselves, how am I going to get my business onto the next stage of success? some of which might go beyond me. Um, Almost all of them I would describe as high achievers, but I wouldn't describe all of them as content. Mm -hmm. Would you describe yourself as content? Yes. (laughs) I I feel like I really am. Um, Because, and this is absolutely no judgment on anybody, but I, I feel like... I, I live my life how I want it to be lived and led, and I feel very blessed and very fortunate that I'm able to do that. Not everybody's able to do that. Um, and I feel like I lead it as an example of how to be like that. I don't, I don't, I used to feel bad about not having huge aspirations. Um, it, it just, for me, it's, it's just what the next day holds. It's just what the next day holds. And I remember um, angrily, because that's part of me as well, as it is all of us, um, sharing with some of our shareholders that the, the, the order of importance in our company is our tribe, our customers, and our shareholders in that order. Because I always felt if we took care of people inside the company, they take care of our customers, and the shareholders will will achieve what they need to achieve. Um, and I never, and probably because I had the support of financial people, because I'm not a finance person, I never worried about the money. I just, I never focused on it. I just focused on um, providing a product that people would want to buy, keeping our costs as low as we possibly could. And the way to keep costs low is to keep people engaged because then they pay attention to loss and they pay attention to um, innovative ideas and they want to be part of something bigger than themselves. Um, and so we, we surround ourselves with a real tapestry, and you saw it, a real tapestry of individuals who are so committed to a, a manufacturing process. I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me. It's just a twin pop. But yet people are, I mean, they give us everything they've got every single day. And it's not about the twin pop and it's not about the machine. It's about the guy standing or the girl standing to their left and to their right and the people that they know that they take care of when they make their products that we make. Right. It's about the smiles. Exactly. And it's also about the, the people they work with to make the smiles. Yeah, exactly. For sure. And yeah. when you help each other out, when you bring each other along, yeah, it's a huge piece. One so as we're talking, I'm thinking about, um, I had a um, mentor myself who, this was way early on in my career, sent me a list of like 50 or um, value-based words, just a long list. And, and my instruction was to take that list and narrow it from 50 or 60 down to 10, down to 5, down to 2, down to 1. And that was very clarifying for me early in my career. And I ended up with, out of that huge list, everything from family to personal finance to integrity, all those things. My list narrowed down to two words, and they've stayed with me the 15 years since then. Um, And those two words for me was humility and courage. And um, humility was the self-awareness, and courage is also, but, but just the courage to 
take a risk, make a decision, be prepared to fail, introduce yourself to somebody, do something that challenges you every day, big, small, whatever. And, and those have been really my guideposts my whole career. It's great learning. So here's the last question. Okay. Um, is there a view or opinion that people might have of you, even people who know you well, that you would think it's probably not right? Is there a misunderstanding that people could easily have about you? Yes. And you know what? In my opinion, this is just my opinion. That's all I'm asking okay, for. Okay, I would think it would, um, it would be confidence. People would see me as being extremely confident. Yes, I think you exude yeah. confidence. Well, I, I don't always feel it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't always feel it, and I feel I'm sometimes very small in a room. Um, but that's where courage comes in. Right. And I, 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 I have to. There's times where I have to exhibit it. I remember um, oh, times when, when you know a TV microphone would be shoved in my face, and I have to speak for the company about something, whether it was you know an emergency or you know whatever. If it was some, and we had plenty of those, but I, I had no choice. Yeah. You have no choice. You have to you have to have clear thoughts and be confident. But that doesn't mean. It, you don't feel it inside your your you know your whole being. Um, it, I, I think the misperception would be that I, I just have this confidence. I learned early on to ask questions, and the reason I asked questions is I was afraid I didn't have answers. So if you are the one that's asking, you don't have to have the answer. You can get it from somebody else. Um, so I I. I I ask questions when I get really nervous, actually. Well, Lisa, I would say this, that there's a lot of people in our mass popular culture who uh, evidently, they act like they have confidence and maybe they haven't earned it. And you're one of the few people I know that if anybody should be confident, you should be. <laughs> wow, thank you so much, Pete. Thank you I'll, for this I'll keep interview. working on it. Okay. <laughs> thank you very much for asking me to participate. I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. We believe that entrepreneur owner managers are the most powerful pro-social and pro-economic force on the planet. And it's for that reason that we dedicate our firm Bigelow to working exclusively with them. At Positive Enterprise Value, we freely share our learning so that you can absorb from the experiences of other private business owners with skin in the game, just like you. Bigelow is widely regarded as the M&A advisor that deals exclusively with high-performing entrepreneur owner-managers. Our scrappy, independent boutique firm only offers one service, that is to help build and someday capture enterprise value. You can find all of the episodes on this podcast on Bigelow's website, which is BigelowLLC.com. <laughs>